0: Hi, thank you very much for joining me on Deltra's Leadership Series. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Roxanne Glaude. Now, I've known Roxanne for probably the best part of two or three years, and I'm really pleased that she's taken the time out to join us. Over the course of the next hour, you're gonna hear a number of um, examples and lessons that she's learnt over the years and i'm really pleased to tell you that she's got a fantastic background in driving transformational change and transformational programs across a variety of different sectors including both working the public sector as well as the transportation sector thank you very much for agreeing to take part in our effective leadership podcast series we really pleased to have you involved and i know you and i have been talking when we first met probably about two years ago two and a half years ago now Yes, it is. spoke about our women in transformation series mm-hmm. and you've always been a very vocal participant in those sessions which has been amazing and feedback from people around you who have seen you there has, has always been very very positive around the poised comments you've made thank you as, as we as we talk about effective leadership it'd be great to understand a bit more from you about one what leadership means to you and in particular what effective leadership means to you
1: so, thank you, Manash, and thank you for um, inviting me to take part in this series. And also, first, thank you for having the hosting these marvelous events. Uh, it's a good opportunity to network. And also, it's also great to hear um, how people see things in a different way in the, in the marketplace and what's happening in different organizations. And it also helps in terms of getting some things you could actually take away with you to sort yeah. of implement back at your organization. So, thank you for hosting those events. That's um with respect to leadership and effective leadership it, it is a bit of a tricky question because again it all kind of comes down to one's perception right in terms of where they think leadership is and you know at first my whole thing about leadership i think in my early career i think i i sort of assumed like the leader actually knew best and actually would guide people in the right path and um but over time i realized like it's not just about being in charge. It's about that authenticity, and and people actually believing in you, and you mm-hmm. actually walk in talk that you are actually expecting others to do. Right.
0: Um,
1: and you know, authenticity came out for me when I kind of look back on some of the leaders I've, I've worked with, um, and I and I sort of looked at what, you know, what their what has been a response to employees by the different leadership types yeah. that people would display. And of course you know you have these business management talk of you know transformation transformation leaders and charismatic and autocratic et cetera different type of leaders. And even when I was doing that as in a study as part of my um, MSc, which I'm doing at the moment, I realized that there are elements in each of those leadership styles that actually makes a great leader. Okay. So even though someone might be a transformation transformational leader, what makes them great is not just having a title but it's that ability to actually get people to believe in them that authenticity piece and people actually believing in the message that you're giving so it's not so much of if i tell you to do this you've got to do it but people understanding why am i doing it what is in it for me what is in it how how i am playing that piece and that gets people on side and so for me when i think about effective leadership is that ability to be authentic and be true and be that person that you want people to respect, but also to your genuine in, in terms of how you come across people by mm. being honest, giving them a message and getting them on side with you. Because I think in terms of if we look in a space of transformation, unless people actually buy into you, that change just won't happen.
0: Yeah.
1: People will do the things, they you know, you would find people in a meeting now go that will say yes to everything you request, but they actually won't do it. You know, so people have got to believe in you and have got to think what you're actually saying or trying to do yeah. is something they want to sign up to and they believe in. And you will see that change. And I sort of look at, um, sometimes when I talk about certain leaders in my business, I always talk about some of the leaders who would, would make it their business to walk around and know every employee that works on their floor.
0: Right.
1: Uh, and I had that experience at, at TFL, where, you know, um, <clears throat> the director of, of that particular department would make it his business to know everyone and know them by name. And that was his way of understanding who worked for him. So, therefore, you know, he was also, you know, so sometimes that actually works in terms of people feeling committed and bought into the organization. So, I guess, I mean, if you're in an organization with 16,000 employees, it's probably not... Possible, but it's just, you know, that sort of effective leadership in terms of making sure you try to make that awareness so people know who you are and, you know, what your messaging is and what you're trying to deliver. You yeah. kind of get people to believe in you and follow you through and be on
0: site. At the beginning, you said that you used to believe that leadership was about the leader knows best and they, they tell you what to do and <clears that's what throat> to follow. At what point did, did it switch for you to make you think that's no longer? Strong leadership. So I think, I suppose, uh, perhaps that was
1: probably based from education, right? You, you know, when you, when you're a child, your parents know best, and then you go to school, the teacher knows best, and then you get to university, and actually, you realise some of the views your lecturers might be saying you actually do really agree with, yeah. and you start to challenge at that point. You know, so you start challenging for me. I think when I hit into university and doing my A levels, some of the viewpoints I would actually say, oh, I don't really agree with that, and right. would challenge. Um, and then you get into the marketplace and you get into the workplace and actually look into yourself of whether the morals of the company are actually what you're on side with. Okay. And that's where I think leadership is also challenged as well, because if you do find yourself working in a company that you do, actually don't believe in the approach, it will yeah. challenge your own ethics and your own authenticity of whether or not that is
0: the leadership you want to follow through. In your opinion, has that <clears throat> has that changed as social media, I guess, has become more prevalent in our society, where you think about the vision, the values, the purpose of a business because if you cast your mind back to 10, 15 years ago, people would work in a business and they were happy to have a job and perhaps grateful to have a job. Maybe choices weren't available mm-hmm. as often. Maybe the leader that you worked for was just luck of the draw. But as we see more articles, more, I guess, theory theories come to light, more examples come to light of different leadership styles alongside the rise of, I guess, social media. Do you think that that's played a part in the the awakening for
1: people i think it's social media but i also think as a as you know we had the generation changes as well mm. <clears throat> the level of a commitment that i know that an employee would normally make back then someone took a job and they'll come in at 17 and that was their job for life yeah. that has changed as the generations have got, moved on right so now if someone stays in a job for two years is actually quite remarkable <laughs> you know you kind of think like two years is enough of a rolling stone for you to keep moving on to the next thing yeah. Or if you find yourself in a place where you actually think, I see two years isn't enough, and I can see I can still make a contribution for a few more t- few more years because I want to achieve what I want to, you find that as well. But <clears throat> I think it's a bit of social media there, but I also think it's people are much more now aware of the different opportunities there are and the different choices. This is in no way to say that some people won't prefer to stay where they are. Yeah. You know if you find a company and it's a really great company, you might be quite happy to stay there forever. Yeah, true. So yeah. I think it's a bit of a balance of social media and a bit more visibility of people not being more aware of the other opportunities out there.
0: And over the years, especially with the work you do, you've you've seen people go in and you've, on a, on, you know, firsthand, been there responsible for driving change, transformation within organizations. Which is more than just technology-led transformation. you have all—I guess—you've—you've been at the forefront of seeing how people do things differently and their behaviours and, I guess, values and outlook. For you, what's what's helped you to be effective in your job when it comes to leading change or transformation in a business?
1: I think, as I, I would say, people, people, people. Okay. At the end of the day, to make any sort of change, you've got to get to the heart of people. Um, and so, again, come back to that authenticity thing. It's it's yeah. not just of, I needed to do this and you've got to do it, you know. Bullying people will, will get you solutions up to a point. Or you find people just go, yes, in a meeting and just won't do it. Right. But, you know, it's sort of explaining to people why you're doing it <clears throat> and actually trying to understand. Because again, for those for those who are accustomed moving period of 2 years 3 years ever so often change is something you're accustomed to but for people who have been in organizations for 10 20 30 years yeah. change is like a real upset and a real dif- a really difficult thing for them to cope with so it's also you trying to say we need to move the organization in this way but i need to hear you i need to understand why why this is of concern for you and why you feel in this particular way and help walk them through the process. So, you know, you do that whole change curve. It's getting people from that point of denial to the point of acceptance and for them to be on board with you in terms of trying to deliver. So, I think it's getting to the heart of people and actually trying to ensure you get them on board.
0: You mentioned authenticity earlier, and it seems to be not necessarily just a buzzword, but people talk about it so much more now, about authentic leaders. But Let's take the, let's take it from the other, look at it from the other angle. How important is authenticity from everyone in the workplace, not just the person leading it?
1: I agree. I think, again, and I suppose it comes back to that thing of, um, the, I think people sort of look at the leader as the one giving the example. Right. And if the leader is authentic, it drives the right behaviors. That's my view, right? So I'm not saying my view is perfect, but I think from my point of view, if people don't buy into the leader, they won't be their true selves. And it's that sort of thing where we say we need to create environments and we need to create a culture where people feel they could bring their whole self to the job. And that whole self is all about authenticity. So, you know, you have one persona regardless. It's not I need to come in in a particular way because then people accept me in that particular way. But this you are bringing your true self. This is who you are. And, you know, when things on the job, you may not always agree, but you've got to understand why it's being done. And even though you don't agree, it's getting you on board to to do it for, for the betterment
0: of the organization. What what do you think would prevent someone from bringing their whole self to work?
1: I suppose if a culture isn't there that people feel comfortable to be who they are, then people may feel they need to have a persona for the office that they feel needs to be, that they need to bring in order to be accepted.
0: And do you think, again, given the the type of work that you do and the, the business that you're in currently, do you think it's it's easy for a company and an organisation to allow for that and to make concessions if we're, where are appropriate or just create that environment of comfort so someone can bring their whole self to work?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I suppose the culture has to exist where people yeah. feel comfortable to do it. Um, and in no way, I mean, I suppose not everyone is comfortable sometimes with who they are. And so they will gauge when they come to a company, is it okay to be my true self? I must say, I feel very fortunate that I've never felt I needed to change who I am in order to get a job. And I suppose if a job didn't really align with what I would like in terms of my own beliefs and what I believe in, I would probably have a different view in terms of I probably wouldn't stay with that company. Fortunately for me in my career, I've always ended up in companies You know that i would like to work in and Mm -hmm. you know the culture has been at a point where you know even if it may not have been perfect i'm quite happy in working to kind of change it so i suppose people decide when they get in uh is it okay to be myself or or you know do i need to change to suit
0: uh it it would be great to actually delve into what you just said a bit in a bit more detail about your beliefs and Mm -hmm. the environment makes you comfortable so over the years, you've not had to bend to anyone else's will necessarily, but what are those beliefs and, and values that, that you hold very dear that have that you've been fortunate enough to see in the workplace?
1: So I think for me, I've always kind of said, um, my mantra has always been, um, nothing's impossible. Okay. The word impossible means am I'm possible. So I've always gone in with that in every situation in life. Um, and so therefore, if I come upon a situation I would always ask the question, can this be done? Um, I remember very early on in in a job I had, um, one of my managers always would say, I'm okay with hearing that things aren't working well, but come to me with solutions. And so I've taken that mantra through life and my career. So even when I'm saying this isn't working, but these are, you know, this is how I think we could resolve it. These are the options. Yeah, And I, I propose this and this is why I propose it. So I always feel, you know, there is that. So for me, I've always tried to make sure that I would not always get everything I want, but I'm not going to just sit back and not ac- and just say, "I'm there's no point in trying. I'm yeah. not going to get it. My point is, I won't know if I won't get it unless I try.
0: So I go forward. <laughs> I, I love what you said there about <laughs> impossible but it stands for I'm possible. I think that... Personally, I've, I've never heard that before.
1: I think I, I think Audrey Hepburn.
0: Right. She, I think, that was so cool. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I think that's, that's brilliant. You, you spoke about coming to coming to the table with solutions, not just problems, which I think is is really valuable. How easy is it for you to accept failure from people that work either you know as, as peer group members or work for you? How how do you make failure acceptable in your, in your business?
1: Oh, that's really key because actually that's part of good leadership, right? Um, so I suppose for me, I like to be told when things aren't going right. So I think, like most leaders, if if things aren't going right, and you find out when it's actually to the total end, it is quite difficult. So yeah. what you really want to make sure is that the culture is there, that if things aren't going right, people feel it's okay to come and tell you it's not going right. Um, and do I and I will appreciate that not everybody will have that same sort of um methodology in their thinking of okay, this is the problem and this is the solution, etc. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not expecting that from everyone. But you know, if I'm told, I'm quite, you know, what I do appreciate is being told and then we can work together, okay, this is what has happened. Okay, let's, let's, let's break that down. What has caused it? Let's look at each of the avenues and okay, how can we address each of these items? So sometimes for me in terms of you know that culture of encouraging the the openness you know that failure isn't badged as the evil but yeah. failure is actually an opportunity yeah. i think when people do see that they're more willing to come and say so i have been on projects before when things haven't been working really great and we have been able to say okay let's sit down and see what is what has what gone wrong here mm-hmm. how can we put a solution to it let's break down each strand and okay what do we need to do and then we review Because even when you do that, it doesn't work the first time, right?
0: Yeah, I'm guessing through those failures, you're probably able to come up with more innovative ways or solutions because someone's gone out of their comfort zone to actually try something different in the first place.
1: Exactly. And sometimes what it does, it then makes the overall process better because you may have found the way you started addressing the situation actually was probably not the most efficient. Yeah. but as a result of these errors as not me do you think okay actually we can smoothen this process and actually do something a bit differently
0: you said something earlier that i found interesting about the fact that you've never been made to feel uncomfortable um being in a workplace or and am i right in saying that that also means that you've not had to overcome any challenges or any hurdles in the workplace or, or would you say it's different um so no
1: the thing is that again and i go back to the possible. so even if um I remember with some jobs I would have, because I had that attitude of, you know, nothing is insurmountable, uh, my bosses would say, okay, when clients <laughs> wouldn't behave and when I up, look for local authority, okay, send in Roxy, because <laughs> she would just listen and she'd be able to equalize the ground. Because the thing was, I you know, I'm quite happy to listen, but I'm also I'm also quite happy to make sure that when we leave the room, one, we know who is doing what and we have a solution going forward. Sometimes that could be good, sometimes it could be bad because sometimes I could be so solution-focused that I wouldn't want people to leave a room without actions. And that may not be for everyone. But um, <clears throat> I do feel, um, you know, and I've been quite guilty of that, I could be quite bullish in terms of getting a solution and getting, getting to a point of we agree what's going to happen next.
0: Okay. And for you, when when you've been sent in to fix something, do you, do you think the bosses you've worked for in the past have typically relied on your emotional intelligence to know how and when and what to do to fix the problem?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think um, one day know that I will ensure, because I guess some, a bit of me is a bit of a perfectionist. If I've been sent in to do something, I want to do it right. So, you know, I will try to make sure, okay, I understand what has gone wrong and then try to work with people. So it's, yes, we we're all disappointed. It hasn't worked, but okay, let's get over that disappointment. Okay. Let's now focus on what are we going to do to fix it?
0: So going back to, again, something you said earlier about, you know, being effective is all about people, people, people. I think it's a really underrated skill because it's not something you can necessarily go and get a qualification in or, you know, a piece of paper won't necessarily make you the best people leader or an influencer of people. Mm. What is it you think you've got and what is it you think good influential leaders have that makes them good people people?
1: Empathy.
0: okay. So empathy.
1: More. So I think it's that whole authenticity thing. And the authenticity authenticity is you actually being true to who you are. People get into that. But also to the empathy of really understanding people as well. Okay. You know, things won't always be perfect. And I think when you do let people understand that you don't expect things to always be perfect, um, people are willing to probably let you know when things aren't going
0: right as well. How important then <laughs> would you say success is? Alongside empathy and then to give it a bit more context you could have the most empathetic leader around and let's let's take sport as a prime example yeah. You could be a brilliant people manager very empathetic But if you're not delivering success
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what point do people look at this and say that's all good and well But maybe what I need is someone who's gonna give me a hard time now Someone who doesn't care about me as the person, but they're gonna get the best out of me and what where, where's the line do you think between empathy versus? we are going to have such a high standard. And if you don't meet that standard, you're not part of our team. So I suppose the thing with the thing with leadership, and I guess that's why
1: leadership is probably one of the things that's well-researched by many people without um, anyone giving a clear definition of what makes it a, a true leader of being of total success. So you have different leadership styles that yes. give you different... Um, different levels of success you know so there are different leadership styles and I think your point is so right like when you look at leadership although I have keyed on empathy and authenticity at the end of the day you know these are probably components that make up that great leader because at the end of the day you're sort of entrusted to deliver what you've been tasked to do and if if you have people believing in you Edmonds can't remember his first name but he talks about growing the pie and he talks about It's not so much about a company focusing on just its profits. A company needs to think bigger than that. It needs to think about, you know, from society. Because if if you do treat your employees well, that's always have that ricochet effect in terms of society is better. And therefore, if employees feel feel they're well treated, it will affect your bottom line because then people would feel more committed to your company and more more um, in tune with the company's objectives to actually deliver the profits. So rather than just focusing on, I need to hit this target, yeah. if you really work in terms of how what you're doing, how that impacts on all of society, it's almost like it kind of pays itself off anyway.
0: I love that as a concept and I love that as a theory, <laughs> And I can see how that would work in practice. But just to play devil's advocate, do you think that still works when times are tough and when people are in survival mode?
1: Yeah, it, it, is, it, it is a tough one. But I mean, it's um, especially when times are tough. That's actually when you want people to be working the hardest for you, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: So to me, the principle still applies. But I think what happens when we're in survival mode, we're thinking about survival mode of working at doing what we always do and so those nice uh, management theories and nice practices get out the window because we just need to focus on you know keeping alive but you know the, the other side of it would be if people still feel you have their back and you are committed to them and you are going to give them the best the best experience while they work for you then they will pay you back by their level of commitment and pushing to hit your targets and give you the level of profitability you expect as a company
0: and that, that's where i guess discretionary effort is such a valuable commodity yeah. You can, never, you can never monetize. Yeah. And I guess goodwill as well. But it, but it's also something that can very easily be eroded. Yeah. And in your opinion and in your experience, is there anything in particular that stands out that could erode goodwill and discretionary effort by
1: that? You know, if we think of how people have been working and I think what has been really great the pandemic has actually shown is um, you don't need to have that present TSM anymore. Cause people will work and they will work hard. But I think where that goodwill comes in is you as an employer being flexible. So, where you would have any office people coming in nine to five, actually, because of life changes, mm-hmm. you may have some school school training at, at home, you may have different bits during the day. And so, your work day may not be nine to five, it might be seven to nine, yeah. 12 to two, and then from four to ten. So it's that level of flexibility. And I think if employees see that sort of ability where the employer is actually a bit more flexible, that Mm -hmm. actually increases that discretionary um, and that goodwill. But if you see that, actually, I may not be working nine to five, and I'm putting these hours, which may not be the traditional hours, but then I'm still getting kicked because I haven't been there between nine and five, even though I'm putting in more hours, that erodes that sort of goodwill that discretionary yeah. time that people are willing to put in because they realize it's not appreciated and I'm still being given a hard time despite me trying to do beyond, over and beyond what yeah. I'm being
0: asked to do. You, you touched upon the pandemic and clearly it would be remiss of us not to talk about it because it's been effectively a life-changing set of circumstances for everybody. Interestingly, yours is a business that's had to operate throughout. Yeah. It probably wasn't the option of saying, Furlough frontline workers because they were keeping the country moving. But but you've had people within uh, within the, the organisation that have clearly been impacted. Perhaps people that have been scared of the pandemic. People that have been maybe had first hand experience of catching COVID or losing loved ones. What's the sort of best thing you've seen from your organisation to say we're here, we're supporting you, we're gonna we're gonna back you 100 percent.
1: So there are some really great stuff that was done during that time, right? And we also have where different pockets of local things. So even though we may have had some employees that were on furlough because we didn't have as many bus services running outside of London. Yeah. Um, some of these staff who went furlough actually use this as an opportunity to actually give back in the community. So they actually went and helped with ambulance. They actually did some volunteer work with local charities. So we and, and that was supported and with those sort of local heroes, the company actually did make a big deal about making you know, sort of highlighting these individuals who, who were taking these non-related stuff but doing something back in the community.
0: Brilliant.
1: Um in terms of from a workforce, I mean we quickly formed a COVID um steering group which okay. meant three times a week and you know we also made sure we tried to try to ensure that our environment was COVID safe we try to make sure there was level of support for employees you know we constantly refer to our employee assistance program you know so because we do know that not only time employees will want to speak with you as a manager sometimes they just need someone independent mm-hmm. um so we did try to make sure that was ongoing um and again as i said each some teams took things a bit differently so in some teams because they know the entire everyone was working from home on a weekly basis they'll have competitions the coffee mornings you know so also as a business we weren't prescriptive how people do stuff and there was lots of materials of things you could do to make sure your staff was engaged and and people are are aware of what's happening and making sure we gave as soon as we got um government information, being able to be quick to ensure we can rule this out and what we can do to support employees, yeah. making sure we give them as much as we can to keep them as well secure, to keep them safe, um, you know, regular communication. We also made sure that there was also that flexibility and that ability for people to actually think about what they would like to do for their teams directly.
0: You mentioned um, employee assistance programs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I'm sure of risen greatly in popularity but also usage and yeah. take up of it clearly mental health has been something that's been spoken about so much from the start of the pandemic and it's probably been the biggest concern you know what happens post-COVID
1: mm-hmm. right
0: how we as employers and, and people need to spot mental health issues how how easy or, or has it been easy to detect when someone's struggling in your and have you have there been any telltale signs that you've been able to pick up on over the last
1: couple months? So, so I think for us, um, before the pandemic, we always had the Employee Assistance Programme. And then one of the things that we had been doing um, through that process was um, we normally reveal what, what the information comes back to us. On a monthly basis, of what are the key trends that are being seen, yeah. um, and so we picked out some of the key themes, and we had a whole health and well-being um, program about it in terms of initiatives we can do. So this was pre-pandemic, yeah. um, and one of the key things we had on there was about mental health. Okay. And so what we, as part of it, what we um, champion within the business was to have a health and well-being champion for every location within our business. And they would then meet on a monthly basis and sort of agree the theme for that month and what initiatives they roll out across the business. We also we also had as part of that overall thing um, mental health facilitators. Right. So this was pre-pandemic as well, and so um, we, were, we so we started that recruitment for one person in each of our locations, and we but a view that it will all be trained professionally in mental health treatment. First aid, first aid, so therefore they can recognize these signs. So it's no longer just being driven by the center, but we want to also want to ensure that each location sort of had someone there who would be first hand to sort of see stuff. So, um, that's where we, you know that was something we started pre pandemic and want to continue because we do see it's really important now, and even more so. Um, like I said, it you know, there are different pockets of stuff happening in the organization. Yeah. We do have some teams which are doing like um, walking the route, walking the distance of all our services as a uh-huh. challenge, right. you know. You know, so we have different things, you know, we've just left it. Um, with, We do have an overall health and well-being theme, but then each... Each um, section of the business that has uh, a them being champion, you know, they come up with different initiatives that support the theme for that month in their their location. Which I think
0: is fantastic. It's absolutely amazing. Going back to the pandemic for a second, we've, um, like everybody in the country and across the world, no one's ever been through it. No one's ever had to lead through it. And no one's ever been led through something like this as well. Were there any... um, Were there any uh, obvious sort of traits that you saw from people within Arriva that you were really impressed by, bearing in mind no one's ever had any formal training in what to do when effectively the world grinds to a halt? What sort of things did you see from people within your business that you were really impressed by and thought, we need more of this?
1: I think what was really good is that quickly, like I guess like all businesses, we you know we formed a task, task force. Um, but I think one of the key things which we, we have always been trying to do, it's um, that sort of engagement, keeping people in the loop, keeping that constant. And I think the team did a really great job of constantly giving updated information of how we can, yeah. whenever anything new came about, people were constantly being kept up to date with what was happening. Um, and some really great things is in terms of the teams looking at okay how we make sure that we keep people safe so safety was like number one priority for us especially in our line of work it was all about how can we keep our employees safe so you know some really really great stuff I, I would probably stop there because if I started trying to itemize I might actually miss a team out and I wouldn't have anybody to <laughs> have my neck in the news. so but I, I think what the pandemic had shown it's how quickly um, even though it was something we've never done before ever had a situation like this of how quickly people were able to come together and actually mm. work as a team and actually work at delivering some solutions in a really quick time so things that would have probably taken a little more time in terms of making decisions or mm. having to have a massive long time to consider and do action, you know go to the market etc yeah. people just realized we just needed to get these th- things done do them well and make sure it's actually to the benefit of our employees, but as well as the public.
0: And, and as we come out of the other side of COVID, do you think it's brought the, the teams within Arriva, and perhaps the team that you're part of, has it brought you closer together to your your colleagues?
1: Yes, I, th- I think for some teams, it, 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 it they would definitely have seen that in a sense of, um, like some teams I said, they would have coffee mornings. Um, I will call it on one of the teams. They actually they actually created a Spotify playlist. Oh
0: brilliant. Okay.
1: And you can find it on Spotify. Um and so they um, you know, so teams did different things and that sort of created that closeness.
0: Yeah.
1: Um some teams had like regular weekly challenges. I've been on a few, I mean they've really challenged me. Um you know, and so people, to, you know, each team did things differently. And I think that was really great that we weren't actually prescriptive of what people should be doing in terms of how to keep engagement with their employees or, or with people in their teams. But I think out of this, you know, um, I think almost so like people felt, you know, I this is what this is my part in what I can do to keep the business going you know so there was that really great camaraderie which continues now because people realize okay everything i do is you know not that i didn't know it before but you know there's greater you know that sort of engagement and great greater alignment and and people want to do it together because they realize as as a team
0: we're more more
1: um effective
0: And, and over the last 12 months alongside covid we've had i guess the added um I guess, insight and awakening of the Black Lives Matter movement and the issues that have been taking place in the US. And with a business that has quite a large workforce that is uh, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic um, backgrounds, I guess, I know it's something that you've been really passionate about championing and talking about, but also raising awareness of it within your business. It'd be great to understand more about what it took for you to actually bring that up and i guess raise to people that perhaps had never thought about it before because it wasn't on people's radars
1: so i think so i think for for me i suppose um it so within our business from a group perspective um uh, last year pre-pandemic as well we had launched a new policy on um equality and inclusion yeah So these were things that were already happening pre-pandemic. It just so happens that with the pandemic happening, everybody thinks, you know, this people are just being reactive. Yeah. Um, So we had that. We had a group-wide equality, diversity and inclusion policy, which was rolled out in 2020. And although it sets a minimum standard for practices and policies, um, it's sort of been left to each entity entity to adopt um, while giving them enough flexibility and scope. Okay. to decide how they want to, you know, how to, and, and the reason for that is we need to take into consideration the local culture and legislation. Yeah. So we do have businesses in other parts of Europe. Um, and, you know, although we can set a minimum standard, we couldn't really be prescriptive that everyone has to do it in a particular way right we also do have like a group centered dni team that supports each of the businesses to develop their own strategy that is impactful locally using the global policy as a foundation
0: mm.
1: uh, from a group wide we also have a company-wide employee resource group via our group global arriva inclusion network call gain yeah. and this provides a safe space for employees to talk openly about their experiences seek support from their peers, lobby a river for changes they'd like to see. And to, and through that group, that sort of creates that sort of um, what I call an inclusion calendar every year in terms of what activities we celebrate as a business. So, for example, International Women's Day and Pride. Yeah. Um, and as a business, we had already been doing pre pre-pandemic, pre-Black Lives Matter sort of DNI training covering topics such as unconscious bias, which I know is a bit of a different term right now. Inclusion and inclusive leadership, accessibility and mental awareness. But in so when Black Lives Matter happened, although one could say it wasn't happening in the UK, like you pinpointed, you know, our population would have been affected by the scenes of what they would have witnessed from that video. Absolutely. Um, pre-pandemic, I will keep saying this. Uh, as part of my master's program, I was doing a collection of our DNA data, because although um, we do have that as an option, it actually is an option because it's not a mandatory bylaw. Okay. You only have the mandatory state agenda yeah for the ethnicity um, pay gap reporting so i thought okay are we missing a trick and is there an opportunity for us here that if we actually know who work for us we make sure that we have the strategies and we serve the people who you know we have the right strategies to people who work for us so i started that as a as a um, project i wanted to do for my msc rather although it's not mandatory something we would like to collect um and then of course with the Black Lives Matter, um, you know, as a company we actually did make a statement on it in turning to our employees. We weren't really about external facing, but we wanted something more personal to the employees who work for us about, you know, that's you know, as a business what we stand for and what we will not tolerate.
0: What did that mean for you personally? Because I know that you've been so passionate about it and, and vocal about it, and not not just this, but all forms of I guess inequality and injustice. And you've been a big uh, supporter of Women in Transformation and, and, you know, you're part of our mentoring scheme. But it'd be great to know more about what it meant for you personally and I guess how you really took that baton and, and helped to push the issue.
1: So I think, I think, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I think we, soon after this, um, soon after that incident, we actually had a, a panel at in the office of people representing different parts of the business to talk about what that video meant for them and you know the impacts on for impacts of witnessing that for them and on that i think for me was more like um because i have quite an, a large proportion of my family that actually lives in, that live in the us yeah. you know it always brings back that fear like when you hear something happening it's never always a crime, you know, sometimes people are innocently killed. I mean, we just had another man being murdered as well, okay. you know. So, you know, every time you hear this, like when you hear somebody being killed in America, you know, you just kind of think, oh, my God, I hope it's not my relative. You know, you really do have that fear. Right. And I guess it's just like, um, you know, you all you know, it it is quite upsetting. It really is quite upsetting. And you, you just kind of think, OK. Why, why are we still so many years still having these same issues? What, what, why is it not stopping? Um, so on that panel um, was people throughout the business who talked about what it meant for them. And I think that was really good because that video was shared to the whole company. And um, we really did have some good feedback from it because people felt, well, it wasn't just the MD and the CEO saying something of, the, the you know, it's not already in the organization. But yeah. they were actually having conversations about it. Um and we started thinking of okay, how can we bring about solutions so people feel that, you know, if 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 they're really affected, they can speak to someone about it. Right. Um, so we had that panel discussion. We also had a follow up after a few months of now we've had that panel, have anything changed for you? You know, have you seen any difference? You know, because I think there was always that concern of um that initial knee jerk of companies having lots to say in a statement, et cetera, was as far as they will go. Um, and so for me, I was quite key that, okay, I can't change the laws of the land and I can't change everybody's opinion. But I think for me, it's all about having that conversation. And that conversation would sometimes be really uncomfortable. You know, so when we talk about that sort of, I know it's not the right term right now, unconscious bias, it's how could you change if you don't know what your biases are? So yeah. for me, you know, to say that, we shouldn't be doing that training i think i think it's a missed opportunity because i've seen people do that training and come out and say actually i'm glad i did that because i hadn't realized you know and i myself i i, I did a training because i did a training to make sure it would really hit the right level when we actually did roll it out through the company okay and as part of the as part of this whole um you know our voices being preaching and pushing forward we did do around the. Going back through that whole unconscious bias training again through the business. So we started from the leadership team, and, at, and after that video well, of our exact team, sorry, after that training, we actually had um, an interview with one of the leaders who went through the training to talk about it, which we shared through the business. Um, and we also formed a DNI council, which our MD is like chairing on that uh, as, as a key sponsor. But I think what we were key to do was, um, it wasn't just from the back of the back Lives Matter, but we just wanted to make sure, well, ha, as an organisation, have we missed the trick? And if we have, let's make sure, you know, we are addressing it and we, we do make people feel this is the place to work and, you know, you're treated equally. Yeah. And we want to create that culture where, you know, equality, diversity and inclusion is part of our DNA and not a vote on. Absolutely. And
0: I guess people are probably fed up of rhetoric without the actions to sort of follow up on it. And I guess the action part is so crucial right now. Yeah. The fact that, you know, I don't think we've ever seen the level of support from the corporate world on Black Lives Matter until March, 2020. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone seemed to to really wake up and say enough's enough. And and again, just talk wasn't enough. Yeah. It's, we hear about quotas, we hear about um, companies really pushing EDI and i policies, looking at um, diverse uh, and inclusive supply chains throughout to ensure they're working with businesses that also have an element of minority ownership, potentially, just to ensure there's a degree of equality and diversity across the board, which is absolutely amazing how much further do you think it needs to go before the level the playing field is leveled
1: so I think I, I suppose that I, I think about it as well. I think like a lot of companies probably already started the work in the en edni space and I think I would like to put ourselves in that group we had started the work but I think with um you know we started it but it just gave it more impetus and yes. I think that's where most companies probably found themselves like we're starting it and we're doing bits by bit by bit the March 2020 kind of made people think, actually, we can't do it bit by bit. We really need to put put more focus and really put more energy into it. In terms of how long it takes, Manesh, um, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> it's not something that's going to be an overnight solution. I mean, when you do have reports and maybe you need to cut this out, government reports that then say there isn't a problem, then you just put people back into thinking there's no need to do anything about it. Okay. You know, So it is something I think won't be resolved um, overnight, um, you know, it needs to keep going. And, you know, if I were to think of when we think of the um other situations, for example, like the Holocaust, of people still saying, you know, they're still affected by that, that happened, you know, in a lot you know, that hap- that is more recent to that whole slavery issue and the whole Black Lives Matter, etc. It's a more, you know, it's a longer period of time. And the pain doesn't go away. The pain keeps coming up every time you feel. Every time you feel you're not being treated fairly. I mean, yeah. you know, if you think someone walking down the street is just going to be murdered, how, how could you ever feel comfortable? How could you ever think the dial is actually moving?
0: And I guess it's it's going to be at least I would have thought another working generation coming through before significant change is seen. Yeah. And again, just looking at I guess diversity and inclusion. I think last year um actually the, the women in transformation event you came to we spoke about the fact that only eight percent of the uk cio population is female yeah and this if we just take change of transformation it's a bit of a microcosm here
1: mm-hmm.
0: if only eight percent are represented by females and then if you then look at ethnic diversity in that pool it's going to be minute. new yes and other senior leadership roles which is something that I'm sure businesses, but also everyone in the working world wants to see different, especially as we have a, a more diverse population that we need to represent. Yeah, Um I, I know through our conversations, it's not something that you're going to give up on or, or walk away from. It's something you're passionate about and, and will be driving, which I think is absolutely amazing to see. But it also sounds like you've had the support or you've got a business that you're working in that, that seems to actually care. They're doing something about this and not just paying lip service
1: to this.. Oh definitely. oh definitely, definitely, definitely. And I think you know when we talk about um, that authenticity and and the sort of you know, as a leader, you actually not just talking it, but actually doing it. when we formally did our when we when we finally when we had our DNA consecrated in in the bus part of the business, you know, our MD said, Yeah, I will be the sponsor. Um, at the time you would think, okay, he'll probably dip in and out. But on record, he's attended every single meeting and is actively, you know, engaged in it. Um and if he feels he hasn't heard anything, he chases. You know, so he really wants to see the change. Um as a matter of fact, for April being diversity month, we're gonna have a diversity takeover in our leadership calls. So we normally have a once a month he briefs all the leaders, over three hundred people in the business. In April it's all going to be about diversity. And you know, we talk about it all the time. So it's going to be part so you know, he's key that it's not just a little project we're picked up because of what's happening, but it's actually something he believes in and the business believes in and it is part of our DNA, and not something we do at the side just to keep ticking over, to show from, you know, PR perspective, is this is something totally believes and buys into, you know, and through, through that council, I mean, you know, we did through our staff engagement, again, it's that sort of thing. When you ask people for feedback, it's what do you do with the feedback?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so in our feedback, you know, employees had highlighted a few things they would like to see. And as part of that council is trying to make sure we create those initiatives that are actually going to address things that people have mentioned they'd like to see. You know, as, a, as an organisation, if you really want to change and you are asking people, then you've got to really show that you are actually trying to change it. Yeah. You know, you've got to really work at it.
0: So it sounds like the support has been there. If we go back to, I guess, what it means as, from a leadership perspective as a whole, if I were to ask you, is there a golden rule you, I guess, follow to ensure behaviours and culture are established and and it works. Is there a particular golden rule that you tend to follow or apply the to, to working world? Oh,
1: you know, I I guess, and this was song really corny. It's that treat people the way you want to be treated. Okay,
0: it's not corny at all, I guess, is it? It's <laughs> it's a way of life right now, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So you know, so I see that as a bit of a guiding principle. So my um my am and i treating people the way I want to be treated. It's, it's kind of the guidelines, you know. So if if you go in with the way you want to be treated, the environment will be the same. In the sense, you will encourage that environment because you get people who will, be, who people would behave the way they want to be treated. It's sort of that ricochet back.
0: So let me ask you this as our final sort of closing question. If you were giving advice to yourself 10 years ago, about how to make it in this world but also how to be an effective leader. What would you advise
1: yourself? Um I would assign myself to stay close to the people. Okay. You know, if if you want people to come on side with you, you've got to you've got to make sure that they understand the direction.
0: And you mentioned the authenticity piece at the very beginning. Yeah. I'm guessing dropping the barrier, dropping the facade, dropping the hierarchy to a degree. Would you think that
1: you and, and that definitely helps? And I and I would say that, for example, in our same council, they you know, they our very first meeting, that was if that was one of our that was our first slide. Right. In this room, we're all equal. Yeah. There are no titles, there are no there's no levels in here. We're all individual. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that is so key. You know, so in those discussions, no one feels, well I can't say this because he's AMD. Yeah. You know, and if someone feels they want to challenge him, they do. And it's not taken like, if I leave that room, there's a repercussion for me, no. We also say, you know, if something said in the room is uncomfortable, let's challenge it. Let's challenge and deal with it in the room. You know, and it has really we do have, you know, I really enjoy those meetings because, you know, it's made up of people all through the business from our frontline drivers all the way up all different levels. grades, And people do come in there. And really, it's just so great. We get different people from different companies as well. Come and talk about their experiences in the space to share good practice. And it's just um, it's really, really rewarding being on that council because I could see the passion, the excitement of people who really want to see a change and yeah. to do things differently and to contribute. So it's not just about, it's not the best, but it's also what can I do to make it the greatest.
0: I think it's so wonderful to hear about a business, but also individuals and leaders within a business doing doing, doing more than they need to necessarily. Doing more, Going past this sort of tick box exercise that other, other people may have fallen into the trap of, of doing mm-hmm. and I think it's great to hear there is I guess almost affirmative action taking place at Ariba and hopefully other businesses as well um, and it would be great to obviously check in with you to see you know what changes in three six nine months time would be wonderful to see if there's been um, you know an uptick in perhaps more people reaching out to the EAP as an example, or speaking up about things that they feel are, are difficult within the business, but also, I guess, uh, seeing more diversity, more inclusion, more equality across not just your business, but others across UKI. And I guess, lastly, for me, I wanted to thank you very much for taking part. It's been great. The hour's sort of flown by without <laughs> even realising just how quick. But um, I, I go back to what I said at the very beginning with the events that you've you've come to and taken part in. You've always been very eloquent and very poised in how you've delivered a message. And I think for me, there's a number of things you've said today which really resonate. The, the I'm possible, I'm taking, I'm, 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 I'm stealing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use that time and time again. Um, and, you know, I'm, we're in the office today. I'm, I'm going to go and talk to the team now and just say, what a wonderful phrase. <laughs> actually, this is fantastic to hear. But also, the, the authenticity piece, I think, is something really important that I've taken away from this. Um, And lastly, I guess the the courageousness to, to stand up and talk about the difficult things, raising the issue of Black Lives Matter whilst it's so prominent in the news can still be quite a daunting thing for an individual to go and do in an organization where whilst it's still on the radar, people may not be speaking about it, really bringing it up. And I think that takes courage, but also the signs of a good leader and a strong leader to actually go forward and do something about it. So for that, I thank you for your honesty and for taking part in this today. Um, And I look forward to following up with you soon. Okay,
1: great. Thanks so much, Manesh. Thank you.